Boy, that escalated quickly. Brick killed a guy. The Yankees were embarrassed by the lowly Tigers over the weekend getting swept in pathetic fashion in Detroit. What the heck happened? We'll debrief the series and look ahead to a pivotal four-game set with the rival Rays. Our special guest this week is another one of Nelly's old teammates, three-time World Series champion lefty reliever Mike Stanton. We got you covered on a happy Memorial Day edition of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter for updates on the show. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. Give the Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating. Write a positive review on Apple Podcasts, please. We appreciate your continued support. Three-time World Series champion reliever with the Yankees. Mike Stanton is going to join us later in the show. You're going to want to stick around and listen to that. But first, Jeff Nelson and I are going to do what uh, most of us did while sitting around our cubicles at the Yes Network yesterday while we were waiting for the Nets game to start. And that's say, you cannot get swept by the Tigers. What happened this weekend, Nelly? <laughs> Pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. Oh, my God. You know, and I know you have some stats as well, and just some of the things that I read. I mean, you're striking out 36 times, and that's 12 each each of the three games. Yep. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, how about the other one? The Yankees in 29 of their games have scored three runs or less, and guess what team is the worst? There's only one other one. The Orioles? The Pittsburgh Pirates are the only team that have done it more times than the New York Yankees. Hey, hey, Yankee fans, you want to be scared to death? The New York Yankees have scored 201 runs. One more run than the Baltimore Orioles, and they have the worst record in the major leagues. I know Aaron Boone said, I have no doubt we're going to turn it around. We're going to start hitting. They did go on that 17-5 and stretch. It seems like a year ago that they swept the Chicago White Sox, and you and I, Nelly, were on here just with a kicking back with our feet up saying, oh, this is the way it should be. This is the way we thought it would be. And now we're right back to where we were in April. Two for 25 with runners in scoring position. You mentioned the 36 Ks and they're outscored 15 to five by the Tigers. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, you had a, a couple of poor pitching performances as well. You know, Garcia was really disappointing when he came up. And the exact same thing that I saw in spring training with his struggles in spring training was the exact same struggle I saw in that game that he threw on Saturday. A little disappointing in Michael King's outing uh, on Sunday. But offensively, you know, pitching has carried this team. And who knows where they would be if it wasn't for their pitching, their starters, also their bullpen. Their offense is pathetic. You know, you can say that around the around the league that most offenses are pathetic. Pathetic. You know, besides, you know, you look at the Red Sox, they don't have a poor offense. They have up and down that lineup is pretty strong. You have the Blue Jays. You have, for some reason, I, I didn't even give them enough credit as the Rays. I mean, they're going to play them in a four-game series here. For something, they're doing something right, and I don't know what it is, but they're leading the East in the AL. But this offense with the Yankees, it's just... You know, besides Judge, and Judge is about the only guy hitting the ball, you really have no one in, on a consistent basis. And, and it's a shame to say that LeMahieu is one of them. But 260 plus 66, 64, you know, it's just not the way things go. You know, you should not be at Memorial Day and have 
a third or more of your lineup, as you keep mentioning, Nelly, batting under 200. I mean, these guys wouldn't be sniffing the major leagues as you said. and But this is the state of baseball right now, and this is what I can't stand. And also, three errors in one inning, two by Glaber Torres at shortstop. They the have- second error was absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, he looked like a catcher trying to yeah. block the ball with his right leg. I mean, he's moving his leg in instead of feeling it and squaring up. He goes and he tries to block it like a camera. Like, what are you doing? He made that one error. He got inside his head and you could tell exactly by what you just described right there. He was inside his own head and that led to the second error. 31 errors. That's the fifth most in the American League. Uh, you couple all of these numbers together. Aaron Boone showed a little emotion in his post-game press conference after that last game in Detroit on Sunday, and he said he was pissed. And how could you not be pissed when your team is playing the way they're playing? Now, I heard another hot take on the radio on my way home from doing the Nets post-game last night, and that was the fact that maybe the Yankees overlooked this three-game series in Detroit. Maybe they just thought they were going to go in and sweep these guys like they did at the stadium not too long ago. Well, they thought wrong. Detroit came to play. They sweeped the Yankees. They outscored them 15 to 5. And now you're going out of that frying pan in Detroit and you're going into the deep fryer for the next seven games in front of your home fans in the Bronx. You got four against the Rays starting today as we tape this on Memorial Day. And then you have three against the Red Sox. So you're facing Boston for the first time. This has the potential, Nelly, to be a week to forget or a week where they put all this crap behind them because they've lost five of their last six. This is getting out of control with this team. Something has to be done. And you brought up Aaron Judge. Now he's been hitting the ball and that's fine. But this is what I've been talking about all season long. And you too, Nelly, with guys swinging from their rear ends, not having the right approach. The Yankees have the bases loaded with two outs. Judge comes up. His approach stunk and to his credit and to Meredith Morakovitz's credit she asked him the question he answered it he was very hard on himself like he always is he's his worst critic and that's why I love the guy and that's why I'll always support him because he was honest but at the same time when you're in that moment you have to have a better approach at the plate you're chasing runs just move it along get it to the next guy and you don't have to hit a grand slam get it to the next guy in the in the batting order I mean it's getting pathetic when you look at these guys at the plate and you see that they're not taking these at bats the way they should be taking them, Nelly, your teams in the late 90s, and I know people are probably rolling their eyes as I say this, but they went station to station. They hit and run. They played baseball. This team, when you're struggling the way they're struggling, go up there with a different freaking approach. Just put the ball in play. Get another run in. Yeah, you know, I I don't know where this team's going to be at the end of the year. I really don't. It's really hard to predict. Will they be a third-place team? Will will they be a fourth-place team? Will they win the East? I I don't know. I I really don't know. The inconsistencies are, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You're up and down, and, you know, right now they're down. You look, when you sat there and said, you know, heard the radio about, oh, you know, did they take the Tigers lightly? Well, okay, if that's the case— you know, obviously in high hope, they wouldn't say, hey, you know what, we took them too lightly. Well, then there's a lot to blame. And I don't know. I mean, who do you blame there? Do you blame the, do you blame Aaron Boone? I mean, what does he say? Uh, Yeah, I don't know what he says in the press conference or what he can say in the press conference as far as when the Yankees go bad in their offense. It's always about the offense. Uh, Oh yeah, we're a better team than that. We want to see better results. He can get pissed off. He can do whatever he can uh, to try to motivate this team. 
But if you're if you're going into a team like the Tigers and going into a city like Detroit, and you're supposed to at least win two out of three, you're not supposed to be swept. You're supposed to at least win the series because they're not a good team. And you get swept, and all of a sudden, okay, they didn't look like they were focused or they took them lightly because they have a big week ahead. Well, there's a lot to go around as far as who to blame. Do you blame the coaching staff? You can. Do you blame the players for trying to you know take this lightly and think, oh, we're going to roll over them? You can which is ridiculous. You're talking, it's going to be June 1st tomorrow. Two months have gone by and you're playing still inconsistent, unfocused baseball. And it's just not the way it should be. And right now they're showing themselves as a mediocre team. And they are a mediocre team. And if it wasn't for their pitching staff, they would be right up right with the Orioles because that's where they are. And we thought the pitching was going to be the issue. And the pitching has been the, the factor that's keeping this team where they're at right now. The offense has to wake the hell up. Two runs or fewer in eight of their last 11 games. And something else that we need to discuss and we need to break down here. They have 26 outs made on the bases. Jeff, that's the that's the most in Major League Baseball. And they actually started to show some life. And it was Gary Sanchez who got them their first run yesterday. And he also another from the Gary Sanchez Hall of Fame of base running mistakes. You know, you just throw your hands up and you tend to expect it. And, and today the lineup came out and he's not in it. And there's some fans on Twitter that are going off on Aaron Boone and the Yankees. But you need to send a message. You, you can't have guys doing that and then reward them by putting them back in the lineup the next day. You can't do that. This is this is something you work on in spring training. You had a full spring training. You know, it's sad to say, and, and I never like blaming the coaches and because it's you, the players go out there and play the game. But you're seeing consistent baseball with guys not focused on what they have to do. And when you're talking about fundamentals, that comes from practicing, that comes from coaching, that comes from drilling it into these guys' heads of what they're supposed to do. And if we're continuing to talk about the same thing, and it's June 1st or May 31st, but June 1st tomorrow, two months of baseball, and we're continuing to say the same thing, something is desperately wrong. If this team is going to turn something around and be the team that I thought they were, I still think they're probably the best team in the American League, even though they're not even close to playing like it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was wrong that they aren't the best team. But something has to change. And we can't consistently talk about these ups and downs and the offense the way they are, the base running, the errors in the field. You know, you just cannot keep relying on your pitching staff. Yeah, there's certain times where your pitcher, what happens when your pitchers struggle? Just say, okay, Saturday and Sunday, Garcia did not look good. And Michael King did not look good. Right. And that's an issue because now with Corey Kluber, we talked about that die contrast and I had that done to myself. And when you're starting to question and trying to get second and third opinions, that's never a good sign. No, third, I come fourth, from yeah, experience. Yes. If they're looking for other doctors to look at this die contrast and to see if there's so, so look, I'm speculating and you should never speculate. I know that. But if they're going for third and fourth opinions on Kluber's shoulder, this is not good news, Jeff. No, it's not. And you know what's interesting, just real quick with the offense, you know, I don't know what Major League Baseball is going to do to try to change the poor offense. Yeah, I think uh, who wrote it? Was it Joel Sherman or somebody said, oh, it this, was league Sherman, is, yeah. this league is now Dave Kingman. You know, you yeah. hit homers and you strike out. and Jack Clark. Is, Jack Clark. And your average is 230. And that's what everybody's average is. Yeah, Back which then you had a, two guys like that. Yeah. Now everybody's. Yeah, which is a great point. I don't know 
if these players are hoping that the league bails them out by eliminating the shift, uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's just, it's it's sad to see guys can't go the other way. I don't like this shift. I want to see more balls being put in play. I think if you do eliminate the shift, does that mean velocity goes down? Maybe guys have to actually pitch because then you're going to see more base hits and you can't be leaving the ball out over the middle of the plate because when they do and just rear back and throw as hard as they can, it's out over the middle of the plate. They smoke a ball up the middle and you have a guy sitting right behind second base and it's an out when normally it would probably be a base hit. So maybe a lot of things can change, but the hitters can't sit there and hope that the league's going to bail them out by doing or enforcing a rule or making a new rule so offense can change. It's just ridiculous the way it is. I think the the big thing right now, as we enter Memorial Day, as we're taping this before the Yankees take the field at 1 o'clock against the Rays this afternoon, these next two series... And I don't want to be over dramatic, but this is going to help define this team. This could be a turning point because you're facing the Rays yet again in a four game series and they are playing out of their minds right now. And they're throwing Rich Hill, Glass now, and McClanahan the next three days. And then against Cole on Thursday, they'll probably do an opener, but it's Jamison Tyone, Domingo Herman, Jordan Montgomery, Garrett Cole. Go out, keep doing what you're doing, but the offense, it's time for you to crack the smelling salts and come out of hibernation because the staff is doing everything in their power to get you guys wins and keep you in games, but you're not hitting. Well, at the end of the week, you know, if the way things are going, they could be out of first place by in double figures. And then you're talking about what the hell is going on. Yes, there's a lot of time to make up, but at the same time, you know, you're playing two teams that are in front of you. You're playing the first place Rays who have just been on fire and they're coming into Yankee Stadium, not intimidated at all. They don't care if they lost two out of three in in Tampa. Uh, Okay, you won the series. Big deal. We're going to come in here. We'll play a four-game set. They have their pitching lineup. They're doing everything right now. And, you know, you kind of don't want to play a team like that because it becomes scary. And the next thing, that four-and-a-half game lead by Thursday could be seven-and-a-half, could be six-and-a-half. Who knows what that is? And then you play the Red Sox. And it's the Red Sox are, you know, their pitching starting to come around. I just saw them against the Marlins. They're a very dangerous offense team. They're a very good offensive team up and down one through nine. They're very dangerous and they put the ball in play. They don't strike out a whole lot. And they got their manager back and Alex Cora knows what he's doing. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see this week in the Bronx. And again, that's a big thing too, because this is with their home fans in tow and something we didn't bring up in Detroit. I just want to get your comment really quick. But to me, Nelly, I I know it was his first three games back coming off that quad injury, but Giancarlo Stanton looked like he hasn't swung a bat in six months. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. You know, he really carried this team for two weeks and really was just on fire. And, you know, that's a type of player he is. And he'll probably do the same thing if he can stay healthy sometime in the summer. But yeah, I, I saw him yesterday with some at-bats against that lefty that the Tigers were throwing. Just look lost. And, you know, he his bat is slow. He's not driving the ball. It's almost like he's he's so close. It looks like he's a little bit more closed off than he normally was. I know he's got his, his stance. He's closed anyway, but it looks like a little bit more. And he's not driving the ball like he did to right field before he went on the uh, IL. And now, 
you know, just to get an extra bat in the lineup. I'm hearing rumbles that they might put a glove in his hand, which would be a huge mistake. Guys, just remember, there are 108 games left after today. I want to talk everyone off the ledge. You know, a different version of die contrast could be coming if uh, the, the negativity. It is a long season. Like Nelly said, it's a roller coaster season. Lots happens. You have series where you lose to bad teams. You have series where you get Oh, swept. listen to the Met fan who doesn't go to extremes. <laughs> you know, you do, Jake, and you understand that. It's I mean, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. That's what everybody told, tells you. But, you know, the way the Yankees have played, I mean, you got, the Mets have just been decimated by injuries. So you can make an excuse that, okay, the National League East have not really lived up to par. The injuries through every single team have just been decimating. And, but the Yankees, the inconsistency that they constantly keep showing, it, it's just... That's the alarming thing. That's yeah. the alarming thing. Okay, a long season, you have 100 games left, eight, eight games left, great. But you know what? They constantly make the same mistakes through the first, what, 52, 54? But you have seen good, you know, you swept the White Sox. That was a nice series since then. They haven't been great. Wait, 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 Again, time out, said- time out. Let, let me let me throw this at the Met. Trying to talk you off. Met fans are all hold hold about on. moral victories. Yankee fans aren't. Hold on, because I'm telling you right now, if you listen to Amazing But True, and, and I'm I'm assuming that you do because there's shirts everywhere that said, you know, you should be listening to this. <laughs> At podcast. least one every single t- day, seven day, 24 hours. He, he's got one with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday written on the tag inside. He's got one for every day of the week, ladies and gentlemen. I wore it at Yankee Stadium Thursday. There, even show that. There you go. But listen, <laughs> you're going to sit there and tell me that if the Mets weren't going through this right now, you wouldn't be screaming. You'd be very calm and You'd say there's 108 games left and we're fine. Well, because I've seen this before. It's a long, believe me, the inconsistency is that you make sense. It's bad. But we've seen strides where this team beats good teams. And I think, like you said, winning in front of the home fans this week, you got to, you got a whole week at home in front of seven games in your building against teams ahead of you. You said you could be down double digits. Well, you could also be in first place by the end of the week if you, if you look That's at it that true, way. That's true. But, it, you know, the, the Rays have won four straight coming into today. The, the Red Sox have won three straight you're dealing with two teams that are very hot and you're running into them maybe at the wrong time and the Yankees by the end of this Rays series they could be eight and a half games back if they get swept so I think the Rays are like 15 and one in their last 16 games yeah they've only lost one game yeah one game this month of the pinstripe pod we started the month like awful middle of the month was like Yay! we're having a parade and now the end of the month it's awful again so the transitive property states then the next week they'll be I'll great up there math. you go <laughs> <laughs> please god don't bring up math i will say this though fan behavior has been a big topic and i was at the the double header thursday and a yankee fan took a blue jays fan's hat and threw it into the bullpen and i was very mad and the Blue Jays fan was not that mad I mean I think he ended up getting it back but that shows you how nice people in Toronto and Canada are a guy gets his hat thrown in the bullpen and he's not even that bad but can fans like calm down I know you've been inside the last year but stop throwing hats stop throwing water bottles at Kyrie Irving and players stop spitting on players like can we can we act somewhat professionally here? I'm sorry I'm sorry was my hat in the way that's okay <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll go get another one tomorrow. that's like old Yankee Stadium you couldn't wear any kind of opposing team's uniform or hat but he's, yeah he's it's a little bit ridiculous like a it's uh it, the fans have no right to be doing what they're doing right now especially with players and since you brought up Kyrie let me just say this he did step on the Celtics logo and kind of press his foot his sneaker into the face I don't know what they call that leprechaun shamrock 
the, no, the, the, le- oh, the leprechaun, the, the leprechaun guy. He put his foot on his face and he kind of smeared his foot on his face. And then he walked off the court and got the water bottle thrown at him. But if you guys remember, and I, and I know you both do, Terrell Owens, he scored a touchdown in Dallas. He ran to the star as a 49er and he spiked the ball on the star. Who policed it? The fans or the Cowboys players? It was the players. Now, if the Celtics players took exception to that, I would have had no issue with the Celtic getting in Kyrie's face and maybe even pushing him. That, to me, would have been acceptable because that's disrespecting the Celtics players and the organization. Fans don't have the right to do what that guy did. Hey, he got a nice pair of silver bracelets and he was let out of the stadium and he'll never be let back in there for the rest of his life. But you're right, Jake. You're absolutely right. And Kevin Durant was right. You've been locked up for a year, but the game and everything like that is bigger than you. You don't have the right to do this to players. We saw Russell Westbrook get popcorn dumped on him in Philly. We saw the thing with Kyrie, and we also saw John Morant's parents getting racial and sexual epithets thrown at them in Utah. Enough with these jazz fans, by the way. I've had enough with Utah jazz fans, and it's not just one bad apple out there. It's the whole damn cart. Enough. They're chapped because they can't drink in the stands. I don't think they have alcohol in the stadium. Isn't it banned? I I think liquor stores close at 6 p.m. (laughs) in Utah. (laughs) Who wants to live in that state? On a serious note, put yourself in John Morant's shoes. It's your first playoff experience experience you're having games of your life your family's there in utah watching you and in a break and play you see your family talking to security so you're on the floor trying to perform to your best and you see your family having an issue with security it's terrible it's deplorable and it needs to stop and the fact that i'm not using any expletives here and i didn't use them last night on the post game show with the yes network is beyond me because i wanted to throw them out there like and and the and i was able to reel them back in like i am now and i know you could beep them jake but it just pisses me off and it needs to stop yeah drink have a good time don't throw things i felt don't bad this point and oh i forgot the guy at, at the garden who spit on trey young yeah and this poor blue jays fan like was like oh life's a happy song I'm like bro throw some hands the guy exactly. ran he, he ran around the stadium to avoid the the security coming after him and then he did a wardrobe change we we have it all i went with my buddy Susie. she she vlogged it and she was vlogging this guy he changed clothes so security wouldn't notice him after throwing the hat i mean taking it to new levels he put on his shirt over what he was wearing oh, so they didn't notice him it was he harry carsoned himself he put the security <laughs> jacket over him before he dumped the gatorade on parcel he bobby so. valentine he and put the mustache and the, the, the glasses and the groucho marks yeah all right we're we, we're having fun now and we're let's gonna talk have... some poop now how about we talk some poop how about that yes Sharon? let's talk poop please with... don't throw that at any player no 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 <laughs> let's talk poop with one of uh nelly's former teammates a three-time world series champion mike stanton that's next on the pinstripe pod Joining us now, another one of Nelly's former teammates, Mike Stanton, three-time World Series champion with the Yankees, 2001 All-Star. He spent six seasons with the Bombers. Now he is an analyst for AT&T Sports Net for the Astros. He does the pre- and post-game there, also on MLB Network Radio on SiriusXM. Mike, you also have another title now, and that's Grandfather. How's that going for you? It is awesome. It's still a little weird to think of myself as a grandfather, but you know, when I look into his little face and watch him, look at him smile and giggle, all the cares of the world go away. Now, what's his name, number one? And number two, I have to ask you this. Have you already taped his right hand behind his back? <laughs> 
my wife does laugh at me because when you know he's getting to the age that he can reach out and you know grab a rattle you know still hits himself in the face with it but <laughs> but yeah I, I i have a tendency to still give it to his left hand but a boy very early but it's kind of looking like he's going to be all right his name is caden shane carlin Wow, it's awesome. Congratulations. Congrats. You know what's tougher? I'm not just imagining that you're a grandpa, but we were teammates for a long time. And knowing you in the clubhouse and spring training, and now you're a grandfather, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this kid in for? Oh, I know. I know. I, I feel <laughs> when you finally get there also. Yeah, we're, we're... <laughs> Hopefully I'm a ways away and it's no mistakes. Yeah, we all have the gray hair and everything like that, but we're all still just big kids anyway. <laughs> Well, let's let's expound on the big kids here, Mike, because we've heard some interesting stories from your former teammate here. And since we're talking about you being a grandfather, I'm, I'm assuming there's been some poopy diapers that have been exchanged from Caden. You know, we've heard a lot about poop stories in the bullpen from Nelly. Do you have some memories from the bullpen and defecation by any chance? I still remember them all. Yes, I still remember them all. But um, yeah, we, we got a little crazy down there on occasion. We just had entirely, you know, this is kind of the nature of the beast of being a reliever, entirely too much time on our hands. Now, now I will tell you this. When I went over to the Nationals after I left the Yankees, one of your former teammates, he ended up being, I guess, officially a coach of mine, but we were really peers. John Wetland was our bullpen coach. And, you know, a lot of the reindeer games that went on in our bullpens actually started with John Wetland. And even as a coach, he was as as crazy as he was when, you know, he was running a Yankees bullpen. You know, I think one of them that I, that I was telling these guys is the birthday parties that we had for the guys that have birthdays in, in, down the bullpen where you can go and gather whatever you could in a large cup. And remember we told Doc, we said, Doc, no feces and no pee. And was it Brian Bowringer that he wound up coming down? And uh, next thing you know, we're seeing little nuggets roll down his shoulder. <laughs> I'm not sure who it was, but uh, <laughs> that, was, that was the rules. I mean, there were rules. I don't know how much we actually, you know, abided by those rules. But, yeah, there were rules, which you could or couldn't do. And then we also all had to make sure that we told at least somebody upstairs, hey, do not put us on camera when we're doing this crap. <laughs> what about the time in Boston where I think it was, wasn't it your birthday and Mendoza put like the rosin bag on your hair and it took you, what, a couple innings to wash that stuff out? Luckily, I think I had I had pitched quite a bit the day before and I don't think I was up that day. That only happened a couple times the six years I was there. We pretty much pitched every day. But but yeah, I, yeah, I spent, um, I spent, we'll just say more than 10 minutes in the shower trying to rinse all that, you know what, out of my out of my head. The, the club weren't happy because I was in uniform. Yeah, it was quite entertaining. I've been trying to rinse this image out of my head since we've been doing this podcast together for the past couple of years, but I think it was, Nelly, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, am I thinking of the time in Baltimore when a certain player rubbed it on the bathroom mirror? Yeah, that was, uh, that was the time that we were flicking seeds, sunflower seeds, and the Orioles got a little upset of us hitting them and i think it was greg zahn that went and did something to our bench put like kitty litter or something underneath our bench and i'm like okay i'm gonna get him back and everybody had routines you know right right everybody everybody had certain times that they used the bathroom and and uh, mine just happened to be in their sink <laughs> 
Yeah, and I also remember Elrod was was about ready to kill you for that. Yeah, I remember the guys at grounds crew came out in the hazmat suits, and you could hear Elrod <laughs> yell once he opened it. Yeah, he was uh, Elrod was uh, the bullpen coach for the Orioles at the time. Great, great, great guy. You have three rings uh, with Nelly. You won in '98, '99, and 2000. We won't talk about 2001 because it still hurts me. I guess as much as it hurts you guys. But what are some of the best memories you have from being out there and being with those Yankees teams in the late nineties and winning those titles? You know, the, the things that I, I remember the most that I hold dear to my heart. Yeah. It, it's the on the field stuff, the comebacks, the celebrations, but it was more just the day-to-day interaction. I mean, we had, and you hear this all the time, but we really did have a bunch of guys that just like to be around each other. And, you know, we had good personalities and Nellie and I were the, the jokesters and the tricksters and you had serious guys, but we just had a good mix that just worked. And I don't think, you know, you could probably call, talk to Cashman and call to talk to the other guys at the, in the front office. It's not something that you can really plan. You don't know how the personalities are going to gel. You don't know how everything is going to work out. You try and get good guys, but you spend so much time together that there's just no way you're going to get on each other's nerves. There's going to be times that, you know, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be fight and there were. But when it all was said and done, everyone did their job on the field, you know, whether it was a small job or a big job, everyone had the same focus. And that, but that the whole thing, the things that I remember the most are the great times we had in the bullpen, or you know during batting practice, screwing around during batting practice, or, or whatever it was. It's not necessarily the in-game stuff, even though I do miss the competition. It was just more about the camaraderie. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I spend you being in Texas, I spend a little bit more time in New York than you do. But every time I walk around, you know, it's uh, you get noticed quite a bit. And every single comment is either thanks for the memories or you and Mike Stanton were the best right-handed, left-handed combination that they've ever seen and come back or, oh, we'll never see that again. And, you know, you look at Mariano, obviously you'll never see a closer like that again. But the rule with the three batters is a little, I don't like it. But as far as a left-handed, right-handed combination, you may never see that again. I mean, we had something special and you can throw Mendoza in there in that mix as well. But we had a really special thing going once those starters got out of the game between you and I. Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, we were both good. We had a lot of fun. When it was time to get down to business, we did that. We went in. But, you know, the, my view on, on being a reliever is, you know, you get down to the, the nuts and bolts of it is, my job was to get somebody else out of trouble. Whether it was the starter or one of the fellow relievers or something like that, my job was to go in there and hold the damage to the minimum. And and that's what I really concentrated on. You know, if, I, if someone asked me, you know, what's the, the number that you concentrated on more than anything else? as far as you know, the stats and it was like you know it wasn't strikeouts it wasn't I, I did pay attention to games pitch just simply because if I was in the game I must have been doing something right because they kept putting me in the game and then the the other was inherited runners you know because I, I felt like you know that was the true essence of a relief pitcher is coming with guys on and get the team out of trouble and and that's where I took the most pride but you know yeah there were a lot of guys around us Nelly and to this day when we start talking about bullpens and and, you know, our bullpen comes up and I'll tell them, you know, the, the sign of a good bullpen is first a good rotation, because if, you know, you're seeing in Major League Baseball now, you know, oh, a guy went deep in the game and he went five and two thirds in. <laughs> right. And, and the biggest issue with that is you just simply don't have enough quality arms in any bullpen. I mean, even the Yankees bullpen, look at the Yankees bullpen last year. They were terrible and they were stacked. Why? Because their starters couldn't go deep.
deep enough in the game. When you're covering, you know, 10, 12 out every single solitary night, you just don't have enough arms to cover that many out. You know, you just don't. Because for every inning, the month that I use, for every three, for every two innings, I need three relievers. So do the math. If you're going to cover 12 outs, I need five or six relievers every single night. And then you put the other thing that kind of drives me crazy about Major League Baseball now. No one's going to go three days in a row. Every reliever is protected. And that's something that, that I know. Very rarely, out. too. I, I, and, and, it's, and it's by design. It's not because the relievers are complaining. It's because the, the relievers are protected. And, you know, one of the things that Joe Torre was notorious at some, sometimes notorious about was that if we're going to play today, we're going to win today. And if you needed a day off, you better tell me you need a day off. Don't put your spikes on and don't go to the bullpen because if you do, I'm going to use you. And because that was, you know, that's that was the Yankee motto. We're, you know, if we're going to go out there on the field, we're going to do everything we can to win. If you need a day off, then take a day off. But don't try and say, well, just try and stay away from me because that never worked with Joe. No, you know, I remember Mike in in Baltimore. I think it was early in the season in '98, and I. I think it might have been in Baltimore, but Stoudemire came to us and said, hey, you know, if we're up by four or down by four, you guys are going to be in the game. So that, that was it. And the only time you did have a day off is if you maybe have gone three days in a row. And then they'll still ask you, hey, do you have an out today? You know, it wasn't one of those things that, you know, they were going to protect us. But at the same time, I mean, we were guys that wanted to throw. I mean, we wanted to be in there. We didn't want days off. And if we could handle it, we would throw until our arms were off. And, you know, the difference you talk about inherited runners, and I think we thrive. I much rather gone on gone in with guys on base and try to clean up somebody's mess sometimes and even throw a clean inning. Now you never see that. You hardly ever see guys come in with men on base. They're always starting the inning, and that's what they're used to. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's a that's a big issue. But to tell you the truth, Nelly, I didn't. I, I wanted to throw every day, but I needed to throw because I felt more control of my mechanics and my delivery, more control of the ball. Now, did my velocity drop? Yeah, I mean, people ask me all the time, how hard did you throw? So, well, it depends on how much I was pitching at the time. <laughs> because I might be throwing hard on day one, but by day three, yeah, there's probably going to be a few less MPHs up there. But but you knew how to pitch. You knew how to pitch and you knew how to get outs. job was the same. Go in there, make a pitch, and get a dude out. That was it, regardless of what the velocity was. That's my whole thing, Mike. Uh, that's what I can't stand. And this is something that Nolan Ryan used to say, and this was about starters, but they're yanking these kids when they get into situations first and third, first and second. They get themselves into pickles early on in the game and they're getting yanked. And Nolan Ryan said, how the hell are they supposed to learn how to pitch out of these situations if you're taking them out of the game in these situations? And you brought up the point about last year. Last year was only 60 games. If you're only going four or five innings as a starter in a 162 game season there's going to be a huge wake-up call past 60 games this year because if they thought last year was bad this year's going to be 10 times worse sure listen we're we're still well, we're basically june but we're the end of may and you have teams all over everywhere complaining about how are we going to cover these innings. I thought it was going to take July, you know, the second half of the season before we really started seeing a big impact on on what last year did. And then and it's last year coupled with the bigger issue is all these organizations are are protecting their pitchers. You know, to almost Actually, it is to a fault now that you see starting pitchers being taken out with 85 pitches when they're still throwing the ball fine. Oh, he can't go through the lineup the third time. You know, when Nolan Ryan said that, he was actually with the Texas Rangers, and that's when he was president. And he was actually talking about minor leaguers 
that the guys were coming up to the big league level and they didn't know how to pitch out of trouble when they got a little fatigued. Well, guess what? Now it's all over baseball. I mean, you got a few guys. You still have some of your horses, some of your big names. They're going to go deeper in the game. But, yeah, two times through the lineup, we're going batter to batter after that. And, you know, then we're going to start running five and six relievers out there every season. Another Another thing, Mike, that drives me crazy, a lot of the people that I talk to in the minors, they tell me they don't even really talk about command with these young kids anymore. They see the MPHs on the gun and they just promote, promote, promote. And that's why we're seeing, and this is why I talk about it ad nauseum here on this podcast, when we see these young relievers come up and come into the game, three, two counts on every batter, they're not throwing strikes they're walking the ballpark it seems like it's becoming system-wide it's becoming systemic in baseball that we're not seeing pitchers brought up the way they used to be brought up we're just seeing you know the shiny thing and that's the radar gun just promoting these guys and then we're not seeing the quality that we saw when you guys were playing worst invention in baseball ever is the radar gun and you're exactly right. It, you put the radar gun, oh, this guy's throwing 97 miles an hour. Yeah, but he can't hit a broadside of the barn. Or the one that gets us in trouble also is, oh, my gosh, look at this guy's spin rate on his breaking ball. Okay, great. But he can't throw one after another. You know, it, it none, they don't look the same. They don't come out the same. He can't come anywhere close to the strike zone. And the idea is that, okay, you get these these very talented young players that can throw hard. We can teach them to pitch. But when does that happen? How does that happen? When all you're doing is video work, you know, I grew up, before I became a Yankee, I was Atlanta Brave. And, you know, we had Leo Mazzoni. And all we did was throw bullpens and throw bullpens and work on command. And, and you know, yeah, we worked on breaking balls. You know, back then we didn't have the video equipment. Back then we didn't, you know, we didn't really know what spin rate was and what it meant. But it didn't matter. You know, I played with guys that had completely average. Charlie Liebrand, who pitched a long time in Major League Baseball, lefty, threw about 82 miles an hour, did not throw anything that broke. He had a little bitty, he called it a slider. It was about a six-inch cutter. He had a changeup that on the best day may drop a couple inches, but he could hammer nails with it. You know, he could go out, you could catch him with a second baseman's glove. He could go out there and just put the ball absolutely wherever he wanted. And he ended up pitching eight or ten years in the big league. Maybe longer. I'm not exactly sure. But the point is, it wasn't because of the raw stuff. And he would never even get looked at. He wouldn't, you know what? He might not even make it to college now that because he doesn't throw the magic number of 90 or he doesn't have a high spin rate or something like that. But yeah, he knew how to pitch. He could go out there and just put the ball exactly where he wanted it every time he released it. And we could do a daily podcast and everything that's wrong and that's changed with the game. I want to, you know, go back to your career, Mike. Jesse Orozco, who I talked to a few weeks ago, has the most all-time appearances at 1252. You were just 74 away at 1178. Did you ever think about at the end of your career, uh, pitching another year or two to be the all-time games appearances leader? I would lie to say it didn't cross my mind. That was not a motivational source for me. It would have been cool. I still wanted to play but a lot like jesse what what ended up putting me on the bench for good was no cartilage in my left knee and i ended up after i left the yankees i went to the mets and i had surgery uh in 2003 on my left knee and it didn't work out exactly the way it was supposed to i was kind of misled on what the doctor had done and he actually take took out I'm going with accidentally, but took out all of what's called my lateral meniscus, 
which means that's all the cartilage on the outside of my left knee. So I, it didn't react well after the surgery and I fought with it kind of for the rest of my career. And then in 2009 is when I found out. So six years later that I actually didn't have, you know, the last six years I'd been pitching with no cartilage in my left knee. And that's kind of what put me on the shelf for good. So yeah, it, it did cross my mind. It would be cool. It doesn't take away from, you know, the friends that I have and, you know, the things that the teams I were we were able to accomplish. But yeah, it, it would have been cool to to finish that off and go ahead and do it. Yeah, I was in your club. I mine was the right knee. Same thing. Same thing. But I'm that's about what I'm jealous over that you you reached a thousand games, which is absolutely incredible. And I was 19, a couple hundred short. Nineteen wish, years in the league. Too. Three decades. Yeah. Three decades. He saw it all from Studio Fifty Four to uh, the New Millennium. Y two K. I will say this about Jesse: he did have to pitch five more years to get that extra seventy. <laughs> there you go. Forty-six. I'm also fascinated, guys. You came out when you were with the Mets to enter Sandman, you, and that was a tribute to Mariano coming out to that when you were with the Mets, right? You know, I did not. I mean, they may have done it, but that wasn't something that was planned. No, I was prior to 9-11. It was Fantasy by Aldo Nova, one hit wonder out of the 80s. And then after 9-11, it was Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue by Toby Keith. You know what? I think it was during save situations, it says, that is when you came out. So in, in the in the few save situations. Yeah, I, to tell you the truth, it's funny that, you know, a lot of players pay attention to that. Oh, wait, you didn't, you know, and I fought with the Yankees because go to fan, go, the, the, the song is Fantasy by Aldo Nova. And at the beginning, a really cool helicopter scene. It's in, in the video. It was a, a war scene. But I could never get them to do the helicopter. They always just started with the music. And I didn't know you need to go back. And it was in fact, anyway, by the time I was going in the game, I didn't really hear it. <laughs> I didn't really hear the music. So, yeah, I'm sure there might have been some times that, you know, they got the wrong tape or something like that and threw it in there. Nelly, what was your entrance music? Oh, Chattahoochee. I, was, I, I used to Alan get booed. Alan Jackson? Yeah, I used to get booed for the country song in New York <laughs> because they didn't have country music. Yeah, I mean, that was... Uh, I, th I was the only, I think the only one, I remember Mike's song and Rivera and there was some other guy, a lot of the hitters had them, but uh, yeah, I came out to Chattahoochee all the time. Never knew and, how much that muddy water meant to you. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and then Mike Borzello, our bullpen catcher told me, says, you can't be coming out to that anymore. <laughs> and then I said, all right, I'll change it. So I went to Thunderstruck for ACDC nice. for one game. I got roped. I think I gave up a couple runs and he came in, he said, go back to Chattahoochee. <laughs> That's all. Can't do it. Sorry. Exactly. Jake, what would you come out to if you were a relief pitcher? Oh, please, let's don't go there. Hustlin' by Rick Ross would be uh, <laughs> would be my song, yes. I'd take it to rap. Wow, Nelly, I didn't know you came out the country. That's yeah. interesting. Wow. Guys, you know that Mike Stanton, let's close out with this, coached at Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey, and Alex Camerata, who is on with us. Alex, you can pop on here. Is it true that you faced him once? Yeah, Mike, back in 2010, I was a junior at DePaul Catholic. We played you. We ended up beating Don Bosco, one of our few victories that season. But it was a good memory to, to beat such a good school like Don Bosco. Yeah, we had a good bunch of kids. And I had that year, I had a team full of sophomores. 
Everybody on the field was a sophomore. I had like two upper classes. We were pretty good, but yeah, it, it was fun. That was my first venture into coaching, especially being, you know, being a like a like a head coach type. Wasn't the biggest fan of it, and that's why a lot of the coaching I do now, even when my son was still a, my my ball player who's graduated college now, has already played a little professional baseball and is in the real world now. I always said, you know what, I'll be a pitching coach, but I'm not gonna I'm I'm not dealing with the parents anymore. <laughs> That's a wise man, Mike. A very wise man. Listen, I could talk ball with you for hours. I'm sure Nelly can, your former teammate as well. But we thank you so much for the time and this honest uh, to goodness discussion on baseball today. Uh, we appreciate it, Mike. And hopefully we can do this down the line. You could follow Mike on Twitter, Mike at Mike Stanton 29. And he's also on the AT&T Sportsnet as an analyst for the Astros MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. Mike, such a great time catching up with you and talking ball we appreciate it it was great have me back anytime and uh nelly yeah we got to find out some time to hang out dude That says goodnight to episode 57, the Chad Green edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camerata for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. We appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back after the Yankees play the Tampa Bay Rays on Friday. Enjoy the games in the Bronx, and thanks for listening, folks. Ta-ta.